Hello, welcome to Workplace Wake Up. I'm Jen Shaw. Every week, I spend about 15 minutes covering legal developments, introducing you to interesting guests, and providing some entertainment to start your workday. Today, I am joined by Erica Frank, one of my colleagues at Shaw Law Group, and a fellow employment law guru. Hi, Erica. How are you today? Hi, Jen. I'm doing great, and it's so great for us to be back on the podcast. I love it. I can't believe we're almost two weeks into January already. All right, we got to talk about document retention policies because, first of all, there's a new law that was effective on January 1 that says we got to keep employment records for four years. So a lot of our clients have asked us about this, and we need them to understand that the four years is a minimum for employment law records. There are going to be some laws that have additional provisions and requirements, but certainly we've got to keep things a lot longer. That is frustrating employers. Erica, why is that? I think in part it's frustrating employers because over the last couple of years, especially the HR director, they have been either at home or they've been at the workplace and the files are at the workplace and not at home. And then many employers also over the last year or so have been moving to more of an electronic storage. So having this all happen at once can be not only a little overwhelming, but a huge administrative burden for our HR folks that are retaining these documents. Now, one of the things I think it might be helpful for the listeners to think about is why record retention even matters, right? The whole point of keeping the records is so you have contemporaneous documentation of what you did, whether it's a resume you received or some interview notes that you took when you spoke with a candidate or a medical request form that somebody asked for. And the thing that I think is complicated about document retention is there's no one rule, right? So there's a rule that might apply to retirement-related records that's going to be different than the rule that we have for keeping that resume that was unsolicited. So part of what's complicated is that there's no sort of easy source, we provide our clients with a document retention checklist so that they can understand exactly what records they should be keeping and for how long. But that's not something that's just available out there on the internet, right? You have different um, law firms, agencies talking about different documents. The other thing that's really important for our listeners to be aware of is Some documents should not be accessible to the supervisor or to the controller. Um, And really what we're talking about are, are medical documents. And I know we often receive questions from clients about what's the best practice of, about how to store the medical records or to store the personnel file in general. That is such an interesting question because It's clear that, particularly in California, where we have a constitutional right to privacy, employers have to do more to keep that information confidential. And I think a lot of supervisors and managers think they have a need to know, well, why is that person on leave? What medical condition do they have? What's their diagnosis? What's their prognosis? Right? They want to know all the details, understandably. But the standard that really applies is do we need to know? Not are we interested, do we want to know? Would it sort of round out our knowledge to figure it out? It's it's really necessary. So for example, when you do a reasonable accommodation analysis, 
you don't need to know what the person's condition is. You need to know what are their limitations? What are they unable to do? That's what we're talking about. Now, there's a different standard in terms of asking for a diagnosis, for example, when you're talking about the California Family Rights Act, as opposed to a reasonable accommodation request that might be under the Fair Employment and Housing Act or the Americans with Disabilities Act. But when you talk about document retention, it's the same issues. Those documents need to be locked up. And what the Federal Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and the Department of Fair Employment and Housing here in California say is they gotta be under lock and key with very limited people having access to them. We don't want anyone to know the contents of the document. For one thing, it's none of their business. For another thing, you can't unlearn the information that you've just read. So down the road, when somebody says, oh, well, after Jen learned that I had anxiety, that's when she refused to give me these out of town assignments. If I never knew the person had anxiety, I can't be accused of that. So there are so many reasons why the medical information needs to be kept confidential, even when it's not directly medical information, but it might just be something about a worker's compensation claim, for example. So it's important for employers to have a strategy. What am I doing with these documents? How are they being stored? And of course, these days, everyone wants to store them electronically. That's right. And the key with the electronic storage. Now, the Form I-9s, and that's something that we want to address here as well. The Form I-9s are another document that employers should really think about and strategically store because when you get that notice of inspection, you have 72 hours to produce whatever is being asked of you. If you go to the Form I-9 Central, there's excellent information, including the document retention requirements. And I know here at the Shaw Law Group, Megan Donahue, one of our fantastic lawyers here, does an excellent training on Form I-9, everything about Form I-9. So something to, to mention out there. Um, but with that being said, with electronic retention, the really important part is A, the information is secure. So we've got the data security issues, but B, it's accessible. And when it is accessible, it's legible. Those are the requirements. Yes, people can actually get the information and figure it out. The other thing to understand is there's no catch-all law under California law or federal law that says you can store any HR document you want electronically. We can piece it together. In fact, there was both federal legislation and California legislation this year talking about posters that allow the electronic distribution of posters and other documents that we never had the green light to distribute electronically before, and now we do. But those are not sort of uh, be-all, end-all laws, right? They don't cover everything. And that's something that we really need to be careful about, particularly in California when you're talking about pay stubs. Right. Because a lot of, a lot of our employers have electronic timekeeping and payroll. They don't want to send out the itemized pay stuff, I don't blame them. It costs money, we're killing trees, I get it. But there are very specific requirements that the Division of Labor Standards Enforcement has imposed in terms of how will those pay stubs be stored? How are they accessed? And as you said, Erica, what's the data security? 
And with, with regard to that electronic posting law that you mentioned, Jen, and I think it's really important here to bring it up, it is limited to those postings under the labor code and an employer still has to post in a conspicuous location. So it did not eliminate the employer's obligation to post. And the reason I mentioned that is we have the same thing when we start talking about document retention. Different documents are going to require not only a different length of time to retain them, but also different security measures that go around them. And I also know from talking to some of our clients, you know, many of us now utilize third-party payroll companies um, that will then store your payroll records because you do have an obligation to maintain and store those payroll records as well. Always important to go back and make sure that they're retaining those payroll records for the required amount of time under whatever state law you may have employees located um, or you have headquarters located. That is such a great point, Erica. It's something we should reiterate for everyone. You know, caveat emptor when you when you retain these vendors. Yes. So whether they're background check vendors or payroll uh, companies, insurance brokers, whoever it is, you got to make sure that they're following the law because guess what? Their agreement with you will say, we will not indemnify you. In other words, it's not our problem if we make a mistake. So if you're liable because we didn't know the law or we didn't do something that we should have done, that's your problem. That's not our problem. And I don't think a lot of employers understand that. You know, a lot of folks look at those contracts and those agreements and they're so long and so tedious and so sort of overdone that they don't look at them and they don't realize, all right, I am on the hook for what they're doing. So, you know, I've heard over the years so many times from employers say, well, we're just understaffed and I need to make sure that I've got sort of an outsourced vendor who can do the payroll or do the background checks. That's great, but make sure you pick the right one. 100% across the board. I think that you summarized that very well. Um, one more thing to talk about before we let our listeners go, Jen, having to do with, again, this new working environment, the notion of hybrid or even completely remote um, and human resources really trying to go green in some respects, bring everything online so that they don't have to shuffle their entire file cabinet when they're going from work to wherever their remote location is. Um, can we offer some tips to some of those employers? Like, where do they start? What do they do? How do they clean house, so to speak? So I think the first thing that, that clients need to do, and this is what we always tell them when we get this call or an email about this issue, sit down and figure out what are all the documents you have? Because believe it or not, a lot of employers don't have the same documents. I mean, you might have an application, you might have a resume, you're gonna have a W-4 for taxes, you're gonna have the Form I-9, but a lot of employers create different documents. Some employers give evaluations, some employers don't. Some employers have individual acknowledgements for policies in their handbook. Some just have one acknowledgement. So I think the first thing to do is sit down and write down all of the human resources related documents you have. I, you know, I gave that advice to someone a couple of days ago, and I literally heard this oh, sigh <laughs> on the other end of the phone. And I get it. I said, I know, but we can't come up with a rule if we don't even know what we're talking about, right? We've got to know what the documents are. So I think that's the first thing. What documents are we talking about? Then you've got to look at, are any of those documents regulated? Like in California, we've got these itemized wage statements, the pay stubs, 
that there are very specific rules about how to make sure those are electronic. You can find the information on your own, but I gotta be honest with you, if you consult an experienced employment lawyer in your jurisdiction on this issue, they will make it much easier for you. Because we come across requirements in our firm all the time, we're updating the chart, we're making sure we've got everything. It's a much more difficult task to just start with a blank piece of paper. After you get the information, then you have to decide what's feasible. And you may decide we're willing to take a little risk. We're gonna do all documents except, you know, um, this weird retirement form that we don't think we can properly put online. It's not, it's not looking the way it should look and we're just concerned about it, but we're gonna put everything else online. Or this whole online thing doesn't really seem like it's that much help. So maybe we'll just do what we can online and still maintain our regular payroll or personnel files. Remember, California law does not even define what a, a personnel record is. Plaintiffs lawyers and defense lawyers argue about this all the time. There are some FAQs on the Division of Labor Standards website, um, the DLSC's website. There is some information available out there in the labor code in terms of what a personnel record is. We know what's not a personnel record, like a background check doesn't have to be disclosed, for example, as part of a personnel record. You've got to remember that the labor code requires you to produce personnel records within 30 days of someone's request. So you got to figure this out. You've got to have a process. You've got to have a system. Erica, I think that's all the time we have today to talk about these uh, very interesting issues of document retention. Thank you all for joining us today on Workplace Wake Up. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, or email us at info at shawlawgroup.com. Workplace Wake Up, including its guests and hosts, do not provide legal advice in this podcast. Do not act upon any of the information discussed in this podcast without consulting a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction.